All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're always with us. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me this morning. I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly in your tone of voice. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank God. Um, we are uh, in probably the most complicated area of scripture that people get really muddied up in in the story. They, 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 they get uh, it just it's confusing. There's so much happening. Uh, and we are in the this, in this segment where there, there's the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And this chapter, chapter 16 of the story, which of course is the, 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 the narrative form of the, the uh, um, the scripture in condensed form. Uh, we are at the beginning of the end, chapter 16. It's actually a bad name for this chapter because this wasn't the beginning of the end of the kingdom of Israel. This was the end of the end. I don't know why they called it what they did. Email the editors on that one. Yeah, I could be even nerdier than Alicia. Yes, I can. Um, and uh, um, let's, let's dive right in here. I, I'm sure most of you uh, multiple times have seen some adaptation or read uh, Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. And so I, I don't have to tell you the story, I'm sure, but there is one part that's always been an intriguing to me is the, the, the three ghosts come and visit Ebenezer Scrooge uh, to seek his redemption. And in the, 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 the last ghost that comes is the ghost of Christmas future. And he shows a very bleak future to Ebenezer Scrooge. He shows him, uh, uh, well, well, two things in particular. One is the death of Tiny Tim, who was Bob Cratchit, his, his, uh, uh, his employee, it was his son. And Scrooge, with a little generosity, could have helped and, and probably saved Tiny Tim's life. But he sees that Tiny Tim is going to die. And then he sees that he himself is friendless and has a terrible reputation, and nobody loves him. And he sees this, uh, this gravestone, and, and all of it comes to bear to him, and he realizes what an empty, tragic life that he's lived. And the, the ghost points to the tombstone, and he senses that it's going to be his name on it. And, and, and this is the turning point of the story right here. He asks a question. Here's the question he asks. Before I draw near to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they, are they the shadows of things that may be only? What a wonderful question. The shadows of what will be or what may be. When you get into the prophetic books, many, many times you can get tripped up if you don't know the difference between these two. Much of biblical prophecy is things that may be. There are prophets visiting the kings of Israel at this time, and they're laying out very bleak futures, and you could think that's really rude of them. Actually, it's not, because they're laying out the things that will be, that may be, if they continue on the way they're going, just like Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes, these things will happen if you continue, unless you change. And the prophets, just like these spirits, are coming to the people of Israel, coming to the kings, coming to the prophets and saying, turn around or this is where you will end up. It's actually a very gracious thing that's happening. Uh, I want to talk to you about the necessity of turning away from the plans that will take us to ruin. Here's where we were in this uh, uh, the story. You, you've got the, the two kingdoms, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. 
Uh, and it, we'll go back to our timeline here. Pastor Joshua talked about Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah and that wonderful story of Elijah and the showdown against the prophets of Baal where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shows himself powerful and superior. And sadly, nothing changes after that. Not only do Ahab and Jezebel put a, a bounty on Elijah's head, uh, but the nation doesn't turn. The nation just witnessed the truth and they don't turn. Nothing happens. In fact, they just go further and further into idolatry. They were around 850 or so. These are very rough dates. Uh, Elijah uh, goes up uh, to be with the Lord. Elisha is chosen as his successor, probably because their names were so similar. <laughs> and Probably not. Um, and he has a, a, an incredible ministry as well. And we see a, an interesting thing uh, uh, you see prophets speaking to kings, and a lot of times you can judge whether or not the king was a good king by how much he listened to his prophet. For example, you had David and Nathan. David <laughs> listened to Nathan the prophet. Nathan confronted him on things, and then Solomon doesn't really have a prophet that he deals with, except once in a while, and usually he puts them away. So we see what happens in the northern kingdom is the kings are always putting the prophets away. They're always ignoring them and running away from them. You have more that come uh, we'll, we'll fast forward 100 years through many more insignificant kings, um, and uh, it's still declining, but you have prophets like Jonah coming, uh, uh, speaking the word of the Lord, people not turning. Uh, he even went up to, to their enemies and, and, and prophesied. And their enemies responded, but Israel doesn't respond. You have men like Hosea, and of course, it's a tragic, tragic story of Hosea, and if you haven't read that, I encourage you to read it. There's been all sorts of uh, wonderful adaptations of that, too, of the heart of God calling his people back. And then uh, around this time, we see a man named Isaiah enter the scene. And Isaiah is the first of what we call the major prophets, and it wasn't that he was any more uh, major or significant than the other prophets. It's just that his book is major. His book is very long. It's 66 chapters. Um, and, and he spoke uh, uh, directly to, to multiple kings, particularly to the southern kingdom of Judah. But he watched what was happening in the northern kingdom as well. And he spoke the same message over and over again for the kingdoms to turn back to God in Jerusalem and in Samaria, the capital of the north. So... He's ministering right now in the southern kingdom when he comes on the scene, and uh, he has one, uh, one specific concern to, to deal with, and that's, that's the kingdom of Assyria. This map is, uh, we'll, we'll show you, I'll give you some bearings here, and uh, see this right here. By the way, don't you love technology? I always forget about this feature, and now I love it, and I might use it just all the time. This... <laughs> is modern-day Kuwait and Iraq, uh, and a big chunk of the Middle East coming up into Turkey, almost to the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, and the Persian Gulf. This is a huge empire um, that is forming at this time. This is a very scary empire. And where's Israel? Well, Israel's way down here. In fact, they have to make a bigger chunk of it just to see, oh yeah, this is Israel and Judah that we looked at. So you can see, just by virtue of the size alone, how scary this would be if you're an Israelite. So... These guys are coming into power. And let me tell you a little bit about Assyria. This is not just Bible scholars, but this is secular historians as well have this opinion. Their very name became a byword for cruelty and atrocity. They skinned their prisoners alive and cut off various body parts to inspire terror in their enemies. 
There's records of Assyrian officials pulling out tongues and displaying mounds of human skulls to bring about stark horror and wealthy tribute from surrounding nations. Nowhere are the pages of history more bloody than in the records of their wars. Many historians would consider this people, this nation of Assyria, the most violent and wretched group that has ever walked the face of the earth. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, I can't say, but the, this was a very, very uh, uh, depraved culture. and they, they had a sense of violence that was just over the top. And if you are a nation that Assyria is, is, is haunting, you're very scared and you have good reason to be extremely concerned. And Isaiah becomes a prophet just as these guys are, are becoming an empire. And they're just on the northern border of Israel. So, they're already slaughtering, they're already marching through the region, marching through the countryside. These two kingdoms are dealing with them and dealing with their attacks. Um, they haven't fully sent their, their whole army yet to take over, but already there's great fear and there's great suffering. So here is Isaiah the prophet. Not a photograph, I know it looks like it, but no. <laughs> this is actually uh, Michelangelo's, I think. Um, this is the situation when Isaiah begins to prophesy. He's prophesying to Judah, also uh, speaking to Israel. I'm, I'm going to read a, uh, a protracted portion of the first chapter of Isaiah. Oops, I didn't want to go there yet. Um, the, forgive me, this is, a, this is a, a little long, but I want you just to hear and, and, and just to uh, hear the heart of God in here and the anguish. This is the very beginning of the book of Isaiah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. A last sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds. Not, fresh, not, uh, not pressed out or bandaged, not softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation. is overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a, a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we should be like Sodom. We should be like Gomorrah. You see, Assyria is right there, and they're about to become the instrument of judgment against God's own people because God's own people have completely rejected him. They've gone after the gods of, of the region. They've gone after Baal, uh, Ashtaroth, Moloch, vicious gods requiring even the blood of, uh, of, of their own children, child sacrifice, and all kinds of depraved sensuality mixed with worship. It's an extremely demonic culture. And Israel has embraced it and gone away from God. So he says, this is what's happening. My people aren't listening. Strangers are in their field and judgment's coming. And interestingly enough, 
Jerusalem hears words like this. They hear prophecies like this. Uh, they, they know uh, uh, they could turn to God. They know they could turn away from their idolatry, but they say, aha, but wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I've, I've got a better plan. I've got a better plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together, and we're going to have a sacrifice, and we're going to call an assembly, and, and, and we'll sing some songs, and we'll kill some bulls, and bam! Everything's going to be okay. Here's what God says to them through Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Ouch. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat of fed kettle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of, uh, of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and, and, and calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assemblies. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes to you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. You know there are times when God refuses worship? Here's one of those times. He refuses worship when we willfully continue in a lifestyle of sin and try to impress them all the while. That's what's happening. The whole nation is continuing on in their lifestyle of sin. He's calling them back. They say, well, we don't really want to come back, but, but hey, we'll sing some songs. How great is our God. Da, 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 da. Get the bowl. Is our God. You know, I was thinking about this on a, on a lighter sort of example. I'm going to pick on my daughter Jenna because she doesn't mind when I pick on her. Now she's like, Ugh, okay. So if I were to say to Jenna, my wonderful daughter, 12-year-old, if I had say, Jenna, can you get Nathan's pajamas on? Nathan, my four-year-old, um, resists the putting on of pajamas and resists almost everything else we tell him, except when Sandra's around. He becomes a little angel. It's amazing. Okay. Um, so if I said, Jenna, can you please get Nathan's pajamas on? She said, yeah, sure. Thank you. And she's sitting down drawing. Da, 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 da. Fifteen minutes later, I look, and she's still sitting there drawing, and Nathan's still wearing his, his day clothes or probably his dog costume or something because that's what he does. I said, Jenna, you didn't put his pajamas on. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yep, up, I'm on it. And, and 15, 20 minutes later go by, and she's still drawing. Jenna, you still didn't put his, his dog costume on. And she goes, I know, I didn't. I don't really want to, but I, I drew you a picture. Well, I like when Jenna draws me pictures. But maybe not in that moment. This is what's happening with them. And that, that's, a, that's a lighter note. And there's even some sweetness involved in that. There's no sweetness involved in this. They're continuing to go after the Baals, the Asherah, Poles, and continue to sacrifice their children to Moloch, while all the while doing some sacrifices to Yahweh and according to the Mosaic Law. Horrible. And he's saying, turn around, turn around. He's saying, there's blood on your hands, can't you see? 
there's blood on your hands. And he says this, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, it's such a gracious thing he's, he's telling them. He's saying, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. Let's reason. Can you see? It's so reasonable. You guys, we serve a God who's so reasonable. His demands are not burdensome. He's the God of heaven and earth. And if he says, come, let's reason together. I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to bless you here. You keep on running into the things that are destroying you. This is what it means to be a prophet. It's funny how people have a romantic idea of what it meant to be a prophet. This was really big in the 90s when and people were just like re, sort of rediscovering the prophetic gifts of the Spirit, and which is, was an awesome thing. But many of you were like, had this like, yeah, I'm going to be a prophet just like Elijah. I'm like, you don't want to live the kind of life Elijah had to live. You do not want to have to do what they did. It was a tragic life that these guys lived, and they poured themselves out as an offering to the Lord. He preached, and he prophesied, and nobody listened. So here we are, Assyria. Right here, breathing down the necks of a nation that will not turn away, that will not seek the one, the only one who can give them reprieve, the only one who can defend them. So they're growing quickly. They attack Israel. They attack Judah. Both nations end up paying very heavy tribute just so that they'll be left alive. They have no place to appeal to the north, as you can see. Oh, can I do this again? Yes, I can. Check it out. Here's Israel, right, right? And look who's to the north. Oh, well, Assyria's to the north. Can they go nowhere to the north? Uh, no, there's a sea right there. There's a desert over here. Nobody lives there. So, oh, wait a minute. Oh, remember these guys? Egypt. Yeah, Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, they got a plan. Oh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, well, King Hosea, not to be confused with Hosea the prophet, King Hosea came to the throne in the uh, uh, 720s, 729 or so, comes there, and the, the emperor of Assyria has died, and so he's like, hey, we got an opening. Let's call our buddies in Egypt. Yeah, now Egypt is not what it used to be. It used to be the world's greatest superpower. We talked about that when we, when we went through the story of the Exodus. It's not that way anymore. I mean, they got some nice museums and, you know, still got some archers down there. They do comp little Robin Hood competitions and stuff. But it's not a power anymore. Like, you would, you know, think you'd want to go up against an empire. But still, this guy gets too big for his britches. And he says, I've got a plan. I'm going to stop paying tribute to Assyria. And I'm going to get my Egyptian buddies. No, 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 no. Don't do it. Don't do it, Hosea. Don't do it. <sighs> Isaiah chapter 30. I'm going to read another 
portion here. Isaiah chapter 30. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine. I'm going to read that again. Woe to the rebellious children who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. He says, this is not what I intend for you. Verse 9, for this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions. And they say to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. For thus says the Lord, now get this, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses and Therefore, you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you, this is God saying to them, therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Ouch. Verse 18, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore, he waits on high to have compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. He wants to give grace to you. He's waiting to give grace. He wants to give compassion. You know, it's funny when people look at the, the, the scripture some, to now, today, the thing God is known for more than anything is judging. But that's the thing he hates to do most of all. And he's saying, I want to give you grace. I want to protect you. I want to save you, but you were not willing. You were not willing. You keep coming up with your own plan of salvation and you weren't willing. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. Isn't that a beautiful verse? In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. So here's what happens. The king of Assyria found out about the conspiracy in Hosea, who had sent messengers uh, to So. That's the name of the king of Egypt. So, king of Egypt. It's a long way from like Tut, right? Nowhere near. Like Ramesses. He's like... He's so king of Egypt. He, he found out that he offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. So the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole lands and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, the capital, and carried Israel away into exile. I don't know if you realize this or not, we said that kingdom split 10 tribes to the north, two in the south, right? That northern kingdom was carried away and disappeared into history. Here's what the Assyrian generals did. They were looking at the best ways for a big empire to grow, and one of the things they realized was if you captured a place and they were all still together, then rebellions rise because they remembered who they were 
But if you deported them into all different places, and if you scattered settlements into places they didn't even grow up, it's a lot easier to suppress them. And that's what happened. He scattered the ten tribes. And over the years, they mixed with the Assyrian people in various locations, and the, one that came, the ones that came back to the territory of Israel ended up intermixing, and we don't see them again until the New Testament, where they're called the Samaritans. These tribes missed out on the promise of the Lord. Do you hear this? They said no to the covenant. They missed out, and they didn't have to. They did not have to. You see, because the judgments were of what may be, not will be. But they continued on their way, and they made them the destiny that they received. It's a tragic, tragic part of history. This came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two golden calves like we talked about couple of weeks ago with Jeroboam, even two golden calves and made a sherah and worshiped at the, all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire and practice divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except for the tribe of Judah. So the southern kingdom is still there. And there's a young man named Hezekiah who becomes king, and he watches all this happen. He watches all of it. Now, what is he going to do? See, now his brothers to the north are gone. I mean, yeah, they were enemies a lot, but he's a whole much better to have Israel north of you than Assyria. But now Assyria is there. And they continue to push through his land. They continue to take his cities. And now he's left with a choice. What is he going to do? Is he going to appeal to Egypt? Is he going to let, let the nation continue in idolatry? Well, Hezekiah, he's one of the few reprieves we have in this whole line of bad, bad people. Hezekiah tears down the high places. He goes to the idols and he breaks them down and he melts them down and he breaks down the Asherah poles and he makes the worship of Baal, Ashtoreth, and Moloch illegal in his country and he says, we are the people of Yahweh. And then he takes a step further. He refuses to call Egypt. He's not going to do it. And Isaiah comes to him, and Assyria comes close. And Isaiah says, hang in there. The Lord's with you. Hang in there. The Lord's with you. Assyria mocks them because now they've sent their army, a massive army outside the city of Jerusalem. And they're mocking him, going, you think your God can save you? You know how many nations we have cut down? You know how many nations we've demolished? You know how many idols people prayed to and were so sure that they were going to save him? <laughs> and Isaiah says, don't you worry, Hezekiah. The Lord's going to fight for you. Imagine the people trembling at the size of this massive army outside their walls, wondering how in the world they're going to avoid the fate of their brothers to the north. Isaiah prays, and he wakes up the next morning with a terrible smell in the air. And they venture out past the walls, and they find the entire attacking army of Assyrians 
dead in their tents. No swords, no spears, no heartbeats. And the Lord says, that, that, do you see that? And rest and repentance, you will be saved. You know, it's interesting, repentance today has this weird connotation. We've gotten so into, you know, it's, it's, it's not works, it, it's grace, that sometimes we don't even know what that means exactly, or we think that repenting is somehow a work. Have you, do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, you don't have to do anything at all, but you have to turn to God. No, you don't have to do anything at all. You just, the Lord loves you and he gives you grace right there, right where you are. It's like, well, yeah, he does, but do you want to turn back to him and receive his forgiveness and be restored in relationship? Like, because that still has to happen, you know. You guys, repentance is not a work. It's simply turning around to him. That's all that is. Do you hear me? It's simply turning around. It's the most common sense. Come, let us reason together. If you're walking away from God, if you're walking in rebellion to God most high, the only way to be restored in relationship is to turn around to him. That is what he's calling Israel and Judah to. That's all it was. Israel said no. Judah, at least for a time, says yes. And friends, I want to tell you this. We have the same offer today. We have the same offer today. I know we don't have idols to Baal and Ashtoreth and Moloch around. But we live in America, and in America we have the altar to self. Everybody has their plan of salvation today. Most of it starts with the comparison. I'm not as bad as, poof. You can point to the guy who just got on trial for, you know, murder. And then that guy goes, well, I'm not as bad as him over there in cell block D. He killed four people. Not nearly as bad. And cell block D guy points way over there. Yeah, I'm not as bad as that political prisoner who gassed like 500 people. And then that guy points way down to Adolf Hitler. It always goes down to Hitler. Is that a plan of salvation? I'm not as bad? I am going to venture to say no. That's not a good plan of salvation. If you're here today, and you've assumed that, that by doing good things, you can earn your way back into the favor of God, I have something to tell you. First of all, he already loves you. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's simply that your allegiance is turned toward yourself. The good things that you do are never going to be enough. That's works, you see? That's works. It's trying to, to do enough good to outweigh the bad that you've done, and you're just not going to be able to do that. The world doesn't work that way. The Lord, however, offers you a beautiful gift. Rest and repent. Simply hear what he has to say and turn around to him. Turn around to embrace him and let go of the other allegiances. The sad thing is it happens even after we get to know him. Even after we find ourselves struggling in things. And then our plan of salvation becomes this. Well, as long as I can put enough time distance between the last time I did this sin and today, I'll be good. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Guys. Such a beautiful thing he offers us. Such a beautiful thing. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. 
there's a kind of thing that wears us out to go, how can I possibly, I've got to do better. I've got to do, I've got to, we've got to do this. And somehow, everything will be okay with me and God. No, 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 rest and repent. You don't have to be creative here. You don't have to go get the golden fleece from across the sea. You don't have to do any things like this. You simply have to hear him and return when he calls. He's a simple Simple message from our God, isn't it? A simple message. And finally, Isaiah, the prophet, stands with his friend Hezekiah, and he looks forward. He looks forward to where, to where someone would come. Unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And we have received him. He has come to this earth. We don't have to wonder anymore. We don't have to wonder what he's like. If you don't know him, I want to tell you he knows you. Stand together, please. I want you to think about those things that you go to. Whether it be justifications whether it be strivings to earn the love of God. I want you to go to those things. Now let's just open your hands again too. Holy Spirit is the spirit of comfort. He is the comforter. Even in his conviction, he's a comforter. He already sees where we're at. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've never given up on us. I want to invite you. I want to invite you guys. Have you been walking away from him? Has your back been turned toward him? This is a wonderful day to turn. And repentance and rest, you will be saved in quietness and trust is your strength. I invite you to come forward. Prayer servant team will be in the back. You can come forward or come to, come to them either way, but respond to what the Lord's calling you. He's gracious and compassionate, always, always, always. 
and he longs to restore you even more than you long to be restored. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Lord. Like I say, prayer servant team's uh, going to be in the back. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever. Have a wonderful week.